Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Today we're going to do a, uh, start a study in Psalm 139. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 139 verse 1 to 6 for you. And this is what it says. If you don't have a Bible, it should come up on the screen behind me. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts afar off. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and your hand is upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I'm so excited that you're here today for this new series. Everybody watching online, great to have you uh, join us this morning. We're starting a brand new series that we've titled God versus Google. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's living and powerful, sharp and active, able to get into areas of our life and bring supernatural change from the inside out. I pray that you'd work with me this morning in this message to have a prophetic edge. Holy Spirit, I pray for your church today that they would have ears to hear what you're saying to them in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Just by a show of hands, not now, you've got a couple of seconds, but how many people actually recognize this sound? Maybe people who don't recognize it, put your hand up. You have no idea what that is. And after about all of that, you finally log on to the internet, if you're lucky. How many, how many people recognize that sound? How many people don't recognize that sound? Look at that. That's awesome. That's how we used to get on the internet, dial-up. I think my first dial-up connection was AOL. My first computer that I had was like top of the line, and the hard drive was a 40-megabyte hard drive. I thought to myself, how will you ever fill a 40-megabyte hard drive? Then I remember when the zip drive came out, was like the first additional storage, and they were 100 megabyte cartridges. And I can remember thinking to myself, this is stupid. How will you ever fill a 100 megabyte car? That's not even like a quarter of a photo now. How many of you know technology's changed quite a little bit uh, uh, along the line? My first search engine was web crawler. Then I think I went to Yahoo, and then I think I went to Netscape, and now today we all Google it. When I was a boy, the mobile phone uh, consisted of being a landline phone with just a very, very long lead. That's what we called a mobile phone. And then the mobile phone got invented. And I remember when the mobile phone first came out, I had a Motorola and it was a monster. It was like a a brick. It was huge. You needed to carry it with two arms to, to get it anywhere. It was just, anybody have one of those? And, and, and back then, when it first came out, it was such a novelty that if you were in a meeting and your phone went off, you could answer it. Like, people were excited. Answer the phone. But we're in the middle of church. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Preachers would stop their message so you could answer your phone in the middle of a message. I remember being at a youth event, a youth leadership event in Auckland, and my youth pastor, Jürgen, had purchased a plastic fake Motorola phone, but it sounded like a real Motorola phone when it rang. And so he just took it to the youth meeting and he just had it there and he would just ring it. And everyone, they thought we were the Prosperity Church anyway. So they thought, well, it's just obvious that these guys are going to have, you know, a mobile phone. And they're just sitting back and say, just answer it. Just, just answer the phone. And then the mobile phone grabbed our attention. It seemed like any time it rang or any time it buzzed, we were going to answer that. Then instant messaging came. Not quite with the text message first. 
We had the pager. Anybody remember the pager? You had the pager and it would buzz and you'd be like, my pager buzzed. I am an important person. And you'd pick it up and you'd read it and then text messaging came in and when text message came in, it just changed everything. All of a sudden, all of humanity needed to know what somebody else was saying to them immediately. Like it wasn't that long before that that it took you weeks to find out what somebody was saying, but now you've got that text message like, oh my gosh, I'm so important. And it would, beep. my daughters, when, when text messaging first came out and you had the, is it the T9, was that, or the T8, what was that called? T9, and you had to hit the, 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 the number one, it had like three letters. My daughters were so skilled at text messaging, they could text message at school, which was not allowed, but they could text message at school by holding their hand under the table and text message their friends whole sentences. I'm terrified just to text you and not check it using my thumbs, looking at that. But then text messaging grabbed our attention. Today, uh, they, then they, sorry, then they introduced the smartphone. When the, when the smartphone came in, I, my first smartphone was a BlackBerry, and it was called the BlackBerry Storm. It was not, they advertised it as a smartphone. It was a barely intelligent phone. It was a horrible phone. It had the memory of a goldfish. It was that bad. It was a horrible smartphone. But now, you know, we've upgraded and we've got all sorts of things, the iPhone, the Samsung, the Google phone, all sorts of phones have come into our world, and the mobile phone has captured our attention. They say today that on the average in America, people spend about 7.5 hours a day looking at a screen. Now, we're not the highest in the world, beaten by South Africa and the Philippines. They're at about 10 hours a day. But you see it, people walking through airports, people walking through sidewalks, on people on crosswalks. They've got their phone out and they're walking around like this. They've got their eye on the screen. I daren't look up. I, I, I can't. And, and they're looking straight down. The screen right now has captured our attention. They say that every second there's somebody searching something on the about 99,000 searches per second on the internet just through Google. People looking for information. The search engine has captured our attention. And the number one search on Google is the word Facebook. Social media has captured our attention. There are 2.96 billion people on Facebook. Facebook now eclipses pretty much nearly most nations in the world. Nearly a third of the population of the world is on Facebook and social media, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Instagram, whether it be uh, uh, um, TikTok, or whether it be Snapchat or whatever, these things have captured our attention. Now, listen, I'm not against any of those things. Facebook is okay, but I think we need to get our face back in the book if we are really going to be changed. I, I think that we, I, I love technology. I'm not against technology. I love having resources at my fingertips. I think one of the greatest resources that we can have as a Christian is the YouVersion Bible app on our phone. How many people love the YouVersion Bible app? How many people have never downloaded version on your phone? Give me a wave of your hand if you don't have it. I really mean, if you have a smartphone, if you have a BlackBerry Storm, you're never going to download it. Start downloading it today and 10 years' time when there's another version, it'll be downloaded. Uh, but but I, I, love, I love technology. But here, here's the downside of that. While the World Wide Web and search engines have given us instant access to information. With all that information at our disposal, we now have to discern in that information what is truth and what is fabricated. What is actual fact and what is fabricated? And with the in, uh, introduction of AI technology, it's in, even going to be harder to do that because you're going to have my face and my voice saying things I never said. So our discernment between fact and fiction is, and it doesn't seem like anybody cares. I remember a friend of mine in Australia posting a pro-hydroxychloroquine ad during COVID 
And, and on that ad, he quoted a doctor, and the doctor had treated over 20 patients with hydroxychloroquine and healed them of COVID. And so he put it on doctor's face, doctor's name, everything looks spectacular, but I don't trust anything. And so I Googled the doctor's name, and I found out that the doctor actually is not practicing right now to be a doctor. He was a manager for singers and musicians. But when he was a doctor, he wasn't actually a doctor doctor. He was a dental surgeon. He looked after your mouth. So nothing about the post was actual, but he posted it as fact. And when I told him he wasn't, it wasn't actually a fact, none of it was true. He was offended and thought I was in the wrong because I challenged his non-fact as being a fact. It was fiction. And I think the more we go along, the harder that is going to be. Uh, how, 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 we're going to find also how biased information is. Okay, I, I, I see that, but how biased is that? I have a whole heap of friends of mine in ministry right now that are under the gun from the media about their church and about expenditure. And, and, and one, one quote was like, you know, they're taking money out of the poor box. That's my favorite quote. They're taking money out of the poor box. Friend, there is no poor box. I don't know of a church that has a poor box. I don't know when you went to the church that they had a poor box, but I've been in church for 40 years and never visualized or seen a poor box in church. We receive offerings, we help the poor, but there's no such thing called the poor box. And in the church that they're talking about doesn't have a poor box to take the money out of. What is it? It's opinion, and they're using their opinion as fact to divide. And with everything at our fingertips, you would think that we would be more unified, but I think today we are more divided than at any other time in history. During COVID 2020, the church of Jesus Christ in America was probably one of the most divided communities on the planet. You could split it right down the middle, 50-50. I had friends of mine that would make a stand and they couldn't win because the other people were angry. And then they'd make a stand this way, and they couldn't win because the other side was angry. I had friends of mine that said, we give up. We're just going to pick a side, go with that. If all these people get angry and leave, let them go. Let them leave. We'll just have a one-sided church. That's the only way we can exist. We have all the information and all the technology, but we are divided. And we have to make sure that we're not divided because God doesn't bless division. God blesses unity. Information is okay, but the reality is we need salvation. Everyone needs a fresh encounter with Jesus. Information is okay, but what we really need is revelation. We need a fresh encounter with the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. While information is okay, what we really need is inspiration. We need a resurgence in our ability to realize that God has called us to kingdom purpose. God has called us to kingdom living. We've got to get new vision and insight and passion and desire and excitement in our soul. I like information, but I'm probably more interested in transformation. Transformation is what we, we need. We need to be changed from the inside out. The only way we can be changed from the inside out is that we connect to the Word of God, and the Word of God will renew our mind, renew our thinking, and change our life. I'm okay with information, but we need transformation. Here's the problem with Christian information. Information without application just leads to fascination. We have a lot of people who love content, they go online, and right now, you can get so much Christian content. You can listen to me preach in this service, and then put on another preacher on your way home, and then tonight, have another preacher on. You can listen to three or four. I've got friends that I know that do that every week. There's so much content online, and we don't have a lack of content. I think we have a lack of repent, because if you just take information without application, then it's just fascinating, and you want more, and you become hungry. But what we need is we need information uh, attached to application, and that's the only thing that will bring a transformation. We need to be doers of the Word of God and not just Googlers of the Word of God. 
Information is okay, but what we actually need is regeneration. We can make searching for things the thing that captures our attention as we have information at our fingertips, but it is a better thing when we make God searching the things in us the thing and have regeneration in our hearts. The psalm says, O oh Lord, you've searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in. Anybody excited that God hems you in? that God surrounds you. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God versus Google. Here's the difference. Google searches the web, but God searches the heart. Oh, Lord. God reveals himself to us as Yahweh, O oh Lord. The, the, the Latin of that is Jehovah. And we, we get this uh, God wanting to communicate with us. God communicates to us with uh, covenant names like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And God gives us covenant names so we get to understand how he views us and what he wants to do with us. And then we, we come up with these theological words to help us be able to describe God. Or more importantly, we come up with these words to help us describe like the mind-blowing concepts of God. And so we use words like uh, omniscient, which means God is all-knowing. Omnipresent, it means that God is always here. He is everywhere simultaneously. And he is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. God has all-powerful. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. Oh, Lord, this great covenant-making God, this incredible Jehovah God, oh, Lord, you have searched me. That, that word searched in the original literally means to, like, dig or sift or pan for, like, like someone would pan for gold. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. It's, it's like somebody being cross-examined in a courtroom. Here's the great thing about God, is that God will, like, sift us and, and, and help us in our living to find out what is the real us and what is the fake us. Because there can be a fake us on the outside that everybody looks like. And there can be a fake us on the inside. What's most dangerous is when we don't recognize the fake us on the inside. Where we actually catfish ourselves. Where we think we're something that we're not. And God says, I'm going I'm to sift your heart. I'm going to test your heart. Not just so you can change you, but you will know what you need to change in you. God will search us. He'll pan us like gold. Why? Because he wants to get out all the dirt and he wants to get out all the mess and he wants to get out all the pain and he wants to get out all the disappointment and he wants to get out all the frustration and he wants to get out all the anger and he wants to get out all the bitterness and he wants to get out all the rejection because there's gold in you that gets messed up by all the junk that gets sown in you and thrown into you through life. So God says, I've got to help you discern and get through all of that. Here's what God said to Samuel when he was anointing Jesse's family. He says, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Physical appearance is okay, but God says, that's not how I'm looking at these people. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known me. This may be one of the most, I think, I don't know if you get it, but, but for me, this may be one of the most amazing 
things about God, is that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing, that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere simultaneously. That in itself is mind-blowing. He is uh, omnipotent. He has all power and authority. But while God has all those things, it's not just that God knows everything. It's that God knows me. It's not that, that he knows everything. It's that God knows you. It, it's not that God is just everywhere, but it's that God is everywhere with you, with me. It's not that he's just all powerful and he created everything, but he created you. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made by God. God is interested in me. Say that with me. Say, God is interested in me. God is interested in you. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a situation with somebody and they were more interested with everybody else in the room than they were with you. They don't, don't even acknowledge you. I've been at conferences, big, big conferences, and been in the green room hanging out with the guest speakers and specifically when I was a youth pastor in this large church and I'd be in the green room in, in the break and I, I would take note of the guest speaker that would walk through the area and not even make eye contact with me because I was a lesser human. I'm only the youth guy. And he'd walk, walk or she would walk right past me to go to the real people that they could talk to and just totally ignored. They, they didn't even notice me. I noticed them. They will never preach in this church. Because <laughs> I took note. See, for me, I'm not impressed by how good somebody speaks. I hang around with some of the greatest communicators on the planet. I don't care how good you can do this. I want to know what you're like when you're in my office. I want to know, are you going to hug my grandson? Are you going to talk to the youth pastor? Are you going to talk to the kids pastor? Are you going to talk to the janitor? Are you going to talk to the security people? Are you going to hang out with anybody and talk to anybody else except the person you think that makes the way? I was at an Assembly of God conference. I think it was their Silver Jubilee in Australia when I was in Bible college. I was a Bible college student. I was a first-year Bible college. I wasn't a student. I wasn't even a second year. Like the second years were the seniors. They were the, the big people. Ooh, the brainy. I was first year. And I didn't even attend an Assembly of God church. I was a part of Christian Outreach Center. So, so I, I was a first-year Bible college student. So I'm a Bible. I'm not even a pastor. I'm a Bible college. I'm not even, not even in ministry. I'm first year. And I didn't even go to the Assemblies of God. I go to Christian Outreach Center. I, I was at the conference because the Bible college I went to was an Assembly of God Bible college. So I'm so low, I could probably crawl underneath a pregnant ant. That's how low I was on the totem pole. And I remember, I think it was Dr. Cho had just spoken. And I was just standing on my own uh, as, as just thousands of people were just leaving this, this venue. And I'll never forget one of the guest speakers that was there came out with an entourage of like, henchmen and security people and he came walking out and, and I've been impressed with his speaking came walking out and as he walked out he spotted me standing on my own by by the side of the building and he stepped out from the henchmen from the security people and he came over and he shook my hand he says what's your name young man and I said my name is John where are you from and he for about five minutes he just talked to me nothing about him didn't try to sell me his book all he wanted to know was information about me. He, was, he, he called eye contact. And I remember him walking away and I saying to God, God, I want to be like that. When I get as big as him and I get as, you know, on the big stage or whatever happens, God, I always want to be like that. I want you to put that in my spirit. I believe that's the greatness of God because how big God is, he is interested in you. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God searches me because the condition of the enemy, my heart, is what impacts my life. And God places a high value on what's on the inside of us. So God says, I love a cheerful giver. Now, I like it when you give and give generously, but what I'm looking at is not the amount of money you're giving. I'm looking at the condition of your heart that's giving. Where, where, where there's joy in the giving, where there's generosity in the giving. Are you giving begrudgingly or of necessity or out of obligation? 
God says, I, that, I don't want you to give like that. It, how you give, it's about your heart when you give. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This was always Jesus' contention with the religious people because they had built a whole religion on doing things on the outside. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's okay. But what's more important than anything else is what's on the inside because eventually what's on the inside is going to come out of your mouth. You're going to be able to speak the right things the right way to the right people at the right time for a certain amount of time, but at some time, your mouth is going to betray you and you're going to say something that really is in the recesses of your heart. The psalmist cried, create in me a clean heart. God says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God said about Noah's generation that, they, that the intent of their heart was only evil continuously. It's who we are on the inside that matters. God searches us. God is looking for our heart. Here's the second thing. Google knows your internet life, but God knows your internal life. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, but you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Again, the the thing in our Christianity is not that God has all knowledge and that he is omniscient, but that God uh, wants to let me experience his knowledge of me. That God wants to get closer and closer to me. He knows my private life. He says here, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, you know when I'm resting and when I'm having recreation. You know when I'm home chilling out or when I'm going out. The areas that only I can see. You see me when I'm sitting down and when I'm laying down. It's it's my private life. No one else gets to see it. And then you know my public life. You search out my path my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. He knows when I rise up and he knows where I go. He knows my personal life and he knows my public life. He knows my personal life, things that no one else has ever seen. And he knows my public life, the areas that everyone has seen. But equally important in this passage, he knows my potential life. So he knows your private life. He knows what you like behind the scenes. When you're sitting down, when you're laying down, He knows what you're like when you're out in public, when you're going out, when you're making your journey. He knows what you're like at work. But more importantly, he knows your potential life. Look at this. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. are acquainted with all my ways, even, even before a word is on my tongue. Oh, Lord, you know it all together. He is discerning our thoughts afar off. Now, this is important because our thoughts shape our future. You will become the result of your most predominant thoughts. And your thoughts will end up in an action. And your action will end up in a habit. And your habit will end up in a lifestyle. And your lifestyle will end up becoming who you are and who you've been known to be. But it all starts with how you think. And so God says, like, like I want to renew you on the inside. The psalmist is saying, you know my thoughts before I'm even thinking them. Oh God, convict me of the thoughts that are not of you. Help me discern my own thoughts. He knows our words before we've spoken them. Now, most of us know our words before we spoke them a little bit, but some of us, we speak them before we even know what we're saying. Has anybody ever done that? You'd be guilty like this, and you're like, not really sure why I said that. I've done that multiple times. I know that's hard to believe. I'm trying to pull the old foot out of the mouth. But why are words important? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who eat it, those who plant that will eat its fruit. Whatever you love, you're going to eat its fruit. And so God knows our words are far off. And so he's trying to tell. This is the intimacy of God. Now, there are varying degrees of knowing someone. You you can uh, know me, but I may not know you. 
You can watch us online, and I may have never met you, so you know me, but behind the screen, I do not know you. The bigger our church gets, the more real that's going to be. That's just the way it is, is that you may know me, I may know your face, I may know to say hello, but, but I, I don't really know you. You know me, I don't know you. That's scary. I've got to be honest with you, as a, as a preacher, that's a scary thing. I remember when I was in Seattle, it was a church of about 8,000 people. I was the youth pastor and the number two preacher uh, on, on the roster, those Pastor Kevin and then myself. And so, you know, preach to 8,000 people on a Sunday. That's, and, you know, a lot, a lot of people know who, who you are. You're on the stage. People know who you are. And so I was new to town, hardly knew anybody, just to see of faces. And I remember being down, I think it was like Sears or somewhere, and I went to buy a washing machine. We just moved into a new house, needed a washing machine. I went down there, and the lady was very nice. She came up. She goes, can I help you? I said, well, not at the moment. I'm just looking around. When I, when I need some help, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. And so she went away, and I kept looking around, and she came back uh, because she probably realized I had no idea what the heck I was looking at with the washing machine. And so, but I pretended I knew. She came up, can I help you? And I hate being, you know, overshadowed by salespeople. I'm like, no, go away. I'm going to buy something. I am going to buy something here. And when I need the information, I'll ask you over. Can you just do that? She's like, yeah, sure. And so eventually I saw, I saw two or three I liked. And so I called her over. I said, ma'am, can you help me tell me the difference between these, these machines? And so she came down. She was helping me with all those machines. We had a conversation for probably, I don't know, 30 minutes about washing machines. Not my favorite topic to talk about, but I felt very, uh, you know, illuminated from her revelation of washing machines. And, and then right at the end of the conversation, she said to me, oh, yeah, and by the way, fantastic message on Sunday, Pastor John. I remember thinking to myself, when were you going to drop that in the conversation? Were you like just hovering, keeping that information to yourself, just in case I started to cuss about the price of the washing machine? Were you just keeping the information quiet because I wasn't actually buying the washing machine for my house? I was buying it for the church so we could baptize teenagers quicker. <laughs> what was the purpose of you not opening with, hey, Pastor John, great to see you. Can I help you today find a washing machine? That would be the great way to... So she knew me, but I didn't have any idea who she was. Then we can know somebody, but all we know is their name and we know what they look like. Then we can say we know somebody because we know what they do for work. We know their hobbies. We know where they hang out, what they do. We can think we know them. Then we can say we know someone because we know about them. We know their principles, we know their priorities, what they believe in, we, like, we know their, their taste, we know their friend circle, we may even be familiar with their culture. We can say we know somebody or think we know somebody because we're familiar with their character. We think we're familiar, but I don't know if any of you have ever been blindsided by somebody's character. You thought that they were a certain way. And then they make a decision that just like, I never saw that in you. I never, I never perceived that. I thought I knew you, but that action means I don't really know you at all. Let's be real. Sometimes we don't even know ourselves. That's the truth. We can overestimate our virtues. We can overestimate how good we are. We can overestimate how godly we are. We can overestimate how holy we are, just think that we are doing really, really good and we can overestimate our, ourselves and then get caught out when things change. Peter found that out. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> you're such a kid of Jesus. Not going to happen. No, Peter. Peter's like, you've seen the size of me? I'm a fisherman. I'm not intimidated by anybody. Crush this food. She's like, no, Pete, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, never, ever going to happen. They come near you, I'll grab a sword, I'll wallop off their head. I'm not a good shot, may take off the ear, but I'm going to shot, shoot for the head. And then by the time the rooster crowed, he denied him three times. Why? Why did he deny? Because he was in a situation that he didn't anticipate when Jesus was making that conversation. 
His whole world got changed around. God turned around and now he finds himself in a scene that he never imagined he would be in and he didn't act like he thought he would act when the situation came to pass. Only God knows who we really are. For the word of God is a living and active. This is why reading the Bible is so important. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and a discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. I want to encourage you, uh, family of God, church, word of life, church, we, we've got to be readers of the word of God. We're going to people be people, if you want to know what God is saying to you, if you want to know how God wants to change you, you've got to open up the Bible. If we've got seven and a half hours a day in screen time, a good portion of that screen time should be your mobile phone out with the Word of God on it, or your computer out with the Word of God on it, or your TV out with the Word of God on it. But we've got to get the Word of God, the reason we are weak, and the reason that we can't stand, and the reason we have so many struggles, and the reason and our mind is so messed up is we don't have the word of God. The word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. There's nothing quite like opening the Bible and seeing a scripture that you never knew was there. It's like, did somebody just put that in there last night? I remember seeing this last time before I was reading this. And then going, God, are you speaking to me? And then God speaks to you out of his word and convicts you of areas of your life that you need to change. We need the word of God in our life. God wants to get to the real us. Google gives you information, but God will give you purpose. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. This has been my experience with God is that God never leaves us or forsakes us. That God is always with us. His relational nature is expressed in this part of the scripture. God is in front of me. God is behind me. God is all around me. And then God's hand is upon me. Jesus stood up and he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. I, I, I love that. I love the fact that when Jesus was 30 years of age, Jesus was 12. I talked about that at the start. That's why it's so important for our church to drill down and raise up young people. See, young people, Jesus is 12 years of age when he was in the temple conversing, in the temple hanging out, interacting, maybe singing on a stage. I don't know what he was doing, but he was interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees, talking with the religious people of the day. And then at 30 years of age, he went to the synagogue as his habit was. This was his custom. It's what he did all the time. As, and and he, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opens it up. He finds this place. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. And then he an, out, unpacks six components of the gospel. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the teacher. And then he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. What's he saying? That's me. This guy that Isaiah prophesied about 600 years earlier, that's me. I'm him. I'm the guy where the spirit of the Lord is upon him because he's anointed him to preach. The hand of God was upon Jesus. I'm telling you, there's just something great about having the hand of God upon your life. They say there's two great days in your life. The day that you are born and then the day that you discover why. The touch of God is always for the task of God. And God, if he's touched you, if he's called you, he didn't call you to mock you. He's going to finish what he said he was going to do in you. You may feel alone right now. Right now, you may, man, I, I know, I feel really distant. My mom had this thing on a refrigerator. If God feels a long way away, guess who moved? I was in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was the Fairmont Hotel. I was at a conference. Everyone was with their family. I was on my own. I'd gone through a very difficult time in my life. And I felt alone. I would have little pity parties, little tiny violin. I remember it was one night, everyone had gone with their families, and I was alone, went back to the hotel room on my own. I'm sitting in the hotel room, and I said, I hate this. And uh, I thought, if I'm going to sulk, if I'm going to have a pity party, I might as well do it by the pool. Because if I cry, then no one will know, straight into the pool. 
But I was really down. And I'll never forget, I was walking to the pool. And, oh, where's God? Where you? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I, 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 the only way I can describe it is I think I felt like I walked into the presence of God. I felt like it was Jesus sitting at the well waiting, waiting for that broken woman to come. Except it was God at a pool waiting for a broken dude to arrive. And I walked into his presence and I felt the love of God and I felt the grace of God and I felt the heartbeat of God and I was surrounded and felt I was hemmed in in front and behind and his hand was upon me and, I, and, it, and it hit me, God, if you knew I would be here in this state waiting for me, then you knew what I'd be walking through and you knew about my past and you're going to know about my future and if God before me, who can be against me? And at that point, I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to be down anymore. I'm not going to knock backwards anymore. The hand of God is upon me. God hasn't stopped using me. God hasn't taken his call off my life. The Bible says in the book of Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Maybe you're in a position right now of stress, of like, where's God in all this? You've got anxiety, you've got frustration, you've got fear, not sure how it's all going to pan out. Maybe it looks like it's all going to go sideways. Real quickly, I'm here to tell you today, if you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He is going to exalt you. When you read the scripture, God's not trying to squash us, trying to lift us up. But God says, I want to lift you up. But for me to lift you up with my hand, you need to humble yourself under my hand. If you humble myself, yourself under my hand, I'll take my hand and I will lift you up. God never outsources our humility. He never leaves our humility in somebody else's hand. Your humility is your responsibility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will elevate you. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. Cast all your care, all your anxiety on him. Give it over to Jesus today. He's encompassed you before, behind, above you, underneath you. He's going to guide you. He's leading you. Moses is in the desert and God speaks to him out of a burning bush, giving him purpose. He'd blown it. He'd done the wrong thing. He got too excited. He'd gone ahead of his own schedule, of his own ability. I've definitely done that multiple times. He's in the back blocks of the desert, and God speaks to him out of a burning bush and gives him purpose. We spoke about this just over Easter, how God spoke to Jacob and didn't leave Jacob alone, but gave him a vision of a ladder ascending and descending, God's purpose still upon him. Elijah is losing purpose and intimidated by this one woman who wants to be suicidal. He's so intimidated and wrecked by this, and God refreshes him, puts him on a mountain, and then speaks to him in a still small voice. And it's like, I'm not done with you yet. Don't quit. Don't stop. There's things to do that you haven't even thought about yet. Esther was hesitant of her opportunity. But then she realized, what if God's called me to the kingdom for such a time as this? What is that? That's God giving people purpose. Philippians says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to pass. Everyone say, will bring. Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As somebody, I don't know who you are, you need me to read this to you again. Maybe you're online, you need me to read this to you. There's somebody here today and you need me. I am sure of this, that he who began, he who began a good work, maybe it's on pause right now, maybe it's on hold right now, maybe you feel like it's all done right now, but he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is not done until God is done. It's not over until it is over. He who began, a good, God did not call you to mock you. God did not call you to make fun of you. God did not call you never to use you. God called you because he wants to use you. You say, John, but look at all my faults. Let God deal with your faults, but he wants to give you purpose. God wants to give you purpose. Google is a man-made search engine. But God is in search of the man he made. Amen. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. Such knowledge, I don't know, as I was, as I was preparing this message, this, this experience right here, 
was my experience. As I'm meditating on this word and I'm thinking about the bigness of God and the greatness of God and the hugeness of God, but then he boils it down and then he just puts it on me. I, 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 I'm, I'm like the psalmist. It's too wonderful. I cannot contain it. It's too big. It's too huge. Oh, this word here, wonderful. Charles Spurgeon said, I cannot grasp it. I can hardly endure to think of it. The theme overwhelms me. I am amazed and astounded at it. Such knowledge not only surpasses my comprehension, but even my imagination. I love that. Such knowledge not only surpasses my comprehension, what I, what I can understand, but it's even bigger than my imagination that God would do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond and more than anything I can hope or think. That is the power working inside of me. Think about this. God loves you. That's what's wonderful. What is wonderful is that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, but God is interested. Not only that God is interested, but right now there are over 8 billion people on the planet. And then God looks at 8 billion people and he sees you. He sees you. Somebody, you need this today. Because this is, this is where you're at. There are 8 billion people on the planet and God sees great. There are 8 billion people on the planet, God sees Ben. There are 8 billion people on the planet, God sees Dan. God sees Farhad. 8 billion people on the planet. And you can name every, God, there's 8 billion people on the planet, God sees my mom. 8 billion people on the planet, God sees my dad. 8 billion people on the planet, God sees my, my, my co-workers. 8 billion people on the planet, and God sees my, my family. But it's hard for you to say there are 8 billion people on the planet and God sees me. The exclamation mark on this message today is not about anybody else. The exclamation mark right now is about you, that God sees you, that you are important to God, that God is chasing after you. And while Google is a great search engine, God is like searching for man. God is searching for you. God wants to get your attention. The, the details of the scripture, God, 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 God talks about things like bottling our tears, putting our tears in bottles. It's not like God's a tear collector. I don't think we're going to die. Wake up in heaven. Get our soft serve cone. That's how I see it. That's how I see the whole thing happening. It's probably not going to happen like that, but that's how I see it. Wouldn't that be, don't you think that's cool? Don't you think that's a great vision? You're dead. You wake up. Pearly gates. Oh, angel. Oh, soft surf cone. <laughs> and then you're going to see St. Pete or somebody like that. They go, hey, come with me. We've got a bit of a collection. We've got a bit of a museum over here. Bit of a museum. Here's all your tears. We've got these in bottles. This is the tears that you shed when that happened. This is the tears when the Philadelphia Eagles lost the Super Bowl. Here's, here's, your, here's your tears. That's a really big bottle of tears. That Super Bowl tears are a really big bottle of tears there. Cried a lot that, that day. It's like a week's supply of tears in there. Then he's going to be like, he's going to be like okay, come with me. Uh, we've got the, we have the hair collection. We counted the hairs on your head. Some of you is going to be like, oh, why is the section empty? <laughs> oh, there's the shiny. Anyway. God, so the, the, the counting of our hair and the, is poetic for God is interested. Think about that. Counting the hair on your head. That's not even like God's just interested in you. That's like the microscopic detail. Sometimes we don't even notice a hair. But God notices the hair. I had a hair growing outside my ear once. I swear to you, that hair was about this long. It was like just jotting out of here. It came out like a, like a, like a praise banner. I was amazed. I'm running through. I'm not whipping people with my hair on my ear. And I never noticed it. And all my good friends, no one else ever noticed it. No one ever said to me, John, you've got a monstrous hair growing out of your ear. And then we plucked it. And God said, hey, I was just counting that. Do you presume the riches of his kindness, Russell, you can come, and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The bigness of the gospel 
is, is like this. God is huge, but God loves me. And God just doesn't love me, but God loves the microscopic details of my life. And then when that should flow out from us as the church, is that God loves the microscopic details of my life, then he must love the microscopic details of my friend's life. And, and we, as the church, are like web pages. We are giving the information out about God. When people are searching for God, they should be able to get access to our web page, our life. When they're, when they're chasing the presence of God or they're, a, they're in need of a miracle, that's why the church is here. The church is not supposed to be entertainment. The church is not even supposed to be like this judgmental center that tells everybody else what they're doing wrong because God didn't need to do that. He had that with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He already had that thing with those people who knew to tell everybody else what they were doing wrong. But the church's responsibility, while bringing salt and light into the world, one of our responsibilities is letting people know how much God loves them. We are the web pages of God. When they're searching for his love, they should come, boom, on that. We should be the first ones up on their screen saying, God loves you, God's for you. And if God can love me, God can love you. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't rise from the dead to start a religious organization. He, he, he rose from the dead to give hope to a broken world. Where do I, I want us to be his web pages. <laughs> we, we should be the most exciting people in town. We should be the most enthusiastic people around. We should, be, we should be the most loving people in our workplace. When you rock up on work on Monday, you should have a smile on your dial. You should, you, you should be able to encourage people, enthuse people, love on people, bring God's glory to people. We are the web pages of God. When they search for him, they should find us. And he's searching for them, and we are helping them search for him. Let's, let's be page one on the web search. Let's not be page three. No one ever goes to page three. Everyone always just goes to that front row. No one's going to three. If you're, if you're on page 10, no one's ever going to see you. You don't exist. Page one, that's where we're going to be, right? When people are hurting, they've got to look for you. When people are worried, they've got to look for you. When people are down, they've got to look for you. When people are struggling, they should look for you. When people are hurting, anytime someone's broken, they should be looking for you. Help me. What is that about you? There should be something in our life that they say, I don't know what you've got, but whatever you've got, I need it. And then we can say, it's Jesus. And as you've been searching for him, he's been searching for you. If you believe that, why don't you stand to your feet today and give the Lord a great round of applause and just thank him for his love, his grace.